2: so that brings in a, a dimension we haven't talked about that I think is um, important to this conversation, and that is that engagement isn't always just about ideas. Um, certainly they can reflect ideas, but uh, one of the things that uh, that is often associated with culture is the way in which people contribute to culture by creatively uh, serving, by creatively um, creating things that, That uh, help people in one way or another. That express care and concern. It doesn't have to be commercial, uh, commercially driven. That kind of thing, and so um, it opens up the possibility of what what people in their vocation. You know, many people, most people who live their lives don't live the life of a seminary, and they don't get to sit in front of a Bible all day and (laughs) teach about what's going on in the Bible. They, you know, they sell a car, or they engage in business, or something like that. Uh, that's part of culture. That's part of cultural engagement. In fact, there's a lot more. Some could say there's a lot more cultural engagement going on outside the seminary oftentimes than in the seminary.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so how do we think about culture and cultural engagement in the context of of uh, where most people live their lives? I'm talking about nine to five, and uh, and and what does that look like? What what How should should we think about that aspect of living and cultural engagement? Because I think sometimes we think of cultural engagement strictly in terms of this clash of ideas that we have in the world, uh, as opposed to thinking about it relationally, if I can say it that way, in how we're interacting and relating with people that God brings us into contact with on a regular basis, just through the living of our lives.
1: One of the most exciting things about culture is the cultural connections we can have whereas theoretically or theologically we differ with another individual, any cultural connection we can find, whether it's a Lamborghini, uh, how you make jewelry, anything, that is a point of connection that you can enter in and enjoy with them and live life over that cultural point. It could be any hobby, literature, music, there's so I mean, basically anything the humans have created doesn't, and then in building the relationship, we may have opportunities to speak the gospel truth according to Christ.
3: If uh one listening is not engaged in ministry as a profession, as a vocation, they're in business, homemaking, teaching, you know. Selling cars, coaching soccer. Uh, how, how do, what would you say for the average Christian in those kinds of settings? What would be some practical ways they could engage culture with a view, obviously, to influencing people within the culture for the cause of Christ? You mentioned some in terms of uh, handiwork, uh, art. You know, even sport, you know, in things, but you know, sh- stopping short of an evangelistic presentation, uh, that may not come uh, obviously on the front end of a relationship. But how do we get there? How do we how do we start into that engagement so that uh, we build a platform for the articulation of the gospel of Jesus Christ at the right point in time, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit? Uh, what are some some ways that you would think uh, we could think
4: about or give counsel to? I, uh, I think uh, immediately of uh, charges that were being brought against uh, the Christians in the second century by the Roman Empire. One of the charges was that Christians were irreligious and that uh, they made, uh, therefore, uh, terrible Romans. They were irreligious and unsocial Uh, They were monotheistic rather than polytheistic. That made them atheistic as far as the Romans were concerned. And they were unsocial. They made lousy Romans – they uh, they didn 't participate in the uh, in the temple ceremonies they didn 't participate in the temple sacrifices uh, they didn 't attend many of the games which had religious uh, significance uh, to them they weren 't part of the uh, of the pagan festivals and so they were accused of being unsocial and of being lousy romans the The way in which uh, the apologists of the second century, particularly Athenagoras, responds is by saying, you know what, we may not attend your feasts, your games, your temples, um, but that doesn't mean we're lousy Romans. When, uh, when your children uh, end up with both parents dead because of plague, we're the ones who take them into our homes and give them new parents. When, uh, when our Roman neighbors are ill— Uh, we're the ones who sit up with them and tend to them in their illness. Uh, When plague hits the city, uh, we are the ones uh, who share our food uh, with others uh, who are hungry. And so we're actually very good Romans. We may not be Romans on your terms, but we're very good Romans because we care for the Romans. I'm thinking that uh, in answer to your question, Dr. Bailey, what what happens here is that Christians look for ways to serve. Uh, that Christians look for ways to become good neighbors. Uh, that Christians look for ways to become good business partners, and in so doing, excel uh, in the virtues which are Christlike and distinctly Christian. Uh, we become servants uh, of uh, of the citizens. Uh, of our culture in ways which do not compromise uh, our ethics and our cult to virtue
2: uh, and you know when I th- we, uh, your example is a good one and I think of, of something that happened a few years ago when Katrina hit New Orleans and it was the uh, religious organizations that rallied around the um, caring of the people who had scattered Yep. all across um, several states. I mean, Dallas absorbed a lot of people, and Houston absorbed a lot of people, and of course, Mississippi and the states to the to the east as well. And there was an editorial in the New York Times, which isn't exactly a Christian uh, publication. And uh, in it, the Times said, in effect, where will we have where would we be on the Katrina catastrophe without the religious organizations that came in and served in effect so well? Uh, and they recognized that what the government couldn't do, those organizations were able to do and made possible. And so the the disaster was far less of a disaster. The thrust of the editorial was: the disaster was far less of a disaster because of the way in which. Um, Religious organizations, which were primarily Christian, mm-hmm. had stepped forward and 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 done this, and they, and they they admitted in the midst of the piece that you know they often give the very people who had stepped in to help a hard time on a lot of issues, but not on this one. Uh, and I I often think this is to, this is you know athanagoras in the 21st century that the more we think about how we contribute as good neighbors, you know, showing our love for God by the way we love our neighbor in the positive sense of that term, is one of the most practical ways to engage that we can have that says, it makes makes a clear statement or attempts to make a clear statement, we love you and care for you Mm -hmm. in ways that are healthy uh, as being a human. And And I don't think we often think of cultural engagement in those kinds of terms. I think we have been so captured by the battle that cultural engagement often is at the level of ideas that we have lost this dimension of thinking about cultural engagement. And I I have the hope and the prayer, perhaps, that part of what – We can be talking about as we talk about this area of cultural engagement, you know, and and this does spill over into tone, but it's tone operating at a different level. It's the point you were making, Jenny. It's not what you do with your words. It's it's about something far more profound and almost symbolic. It's too soft a word. It it, it's far more relationally rooted, living it out exactly right in such a way that a person looks at how you extend your hand in an area where it might not have normally been expected. And they go, that was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, what in the world caused you to do that? Most yep. of the people living around me would never think of doing yep. that. And that, that dissonance is – I'm going to go back to a word I used earlier – is subversive. Mm-hmm. In the positive sense of that term, Mm -hmm. because what it communicates is a love and a commitment and an understanding and a willing to engage and to reach out to someone who's different in a way that says, I really do care about you and what's uh, good for you and what your welfare is. I'm, I'm not just in the business of, of shaking my finger at you. I really, want to, I, I really want you to understand I do care about you. And I think we far underestimate the value of what that kind of relational personal engagement can engender in people. And we don't talk enough about it in the pulpit.
4: No. Well, it was the Lord Jesus who said the Son of Man came to serve and not to be served. And so there is our model of cultural engagement uh, in, uh, in one direction, that we, we exist in culture to serve and not to be served. And in doing so, we imitate the Son of Man.
3: And I think in one sense, whether we use the term culture, uh, but the, the profile of, of a committed Christian living a godly life in front of those Cultures would be, uh, you know, if if all believers were out of debt, we might have a better standing to say our country ought not to be in debt. If our cultures were modeling marital values, we would have a better basis of talking about biblical marriage and sexuality, like faithfulness. And yeah, faithfulness. Yeah. Uh, the and I say this not at all to. Uh, Draw attention to me. It's my wife who deserves all the credit. We had an Indian couple move in across the street from us in our uh, when we first moved here to Dallas, and uh, Avna and Bash- you know, uh, Bashok were the uh, couple, uh, delightful couple, and she and Barbie started walking just around the neighborhood. But the question that broke the ice in the ability to witness was, why, why do your boys love you? They're respectful. Uh, they saw in our boys a respect for Barbie, and uh, they probably knew that I would, uh, you know, fix it if they weren't. <laughs> but uh, I never allowed them to be disrespectful to her. But uh, the fact that they love their mother, even into the junior high years, Uh, So much so that my youngest son begged my wife to apply for a teaching position at the school where he was attending, you know, so he could hang out with mom. You know, well, that was a a little bit unheard of from her perspective. That's pretty exceptional. That is exceptional, maybe. (laughs) But uh, that's why I said I have an exceptional wife. But what the amazing thing was, here is an Indian couple that has the idol box in the house living across the street from us. At, but but the the opportunity, the, the, the crack in that shield, if I could say that, or the crack in that door that allowed a conversation of what made the difference in life came at a visual level, not at a verbal level, which is what you were saying. That to visualize what it means to live like Christians so that when we have the conversation that uh, the charge of hypocrisy – it's an easy charge, the world has – uh, and it's a valid charge that the world has, but it's an easy charge. But to eliminate that reason for slander, you know, is a part of what Peter says to that early church, that by the kind of behavior we live, we uh, we put the, to, to, to to silence the the criticisms of people who are and, and ignorant
2: Barbie wasn't bragging about that. Not she was all. just Never. living
3: her life yep. faithfully
2: in yes. the context of uh, of a of a different. Uh, cultural practice and standard that happen to be theologically grounded. And and again, I think that that's, this, this, is, this is practical cultural engagement if you want to think right. of it that way. It's not ideological cultural engagement, it's practical cultural engagement. And sometimes it's able to work its way in and through um, the, the clash of ideas that's going on in the culture. It, it, it's a way through. And as I said, I just don't think we talk about that near enough in the pulpits, and we don't have illustrations that pastors use in the pulpits as they preach that encourage people in this direction enough uh, so that they think about how to integrate the lives that they live nine to five where they are enough so that Christ represents them. They think the only representation they have is verbal. And uh, sometimes, actually, and I, even the hypocrisy charge tells you that what people are doing is they're watching,
0: not so much by what you say, but what you do. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com.
1: And to give you a practical illustration, I, let's stay with the car salesman, it's such a valuable opportunity to to be in mission. So if the car salesman employee has a commission, you know, thinking through how am I going to use that? Would I ever give it to a fellow salesman who didn't earn it because whatever circumstance he's encountering? You know, would we give of ourselves and our time and our resources Even our money to serve the people with whom we're working for all of those, um, whether in car sales or business offices. You know, as a Christian, if you're stealing office supplies, there's nothing more practical. And I would um, offer ideological as what you do in that moment, and and that is what people see. If you want a Christian witness, and you're doing, you know, how you treat your wife. Your relationships, etc. Once you start to break it down to think through, what am I doing on a daily basis that is evidencing Christ or not, and am I following Him in this behavior? That's your witness.
3: This is, this is always a, a, a delicate tension, and we're always out of balance. That the, the truth versus the deed. You know, you know the the confrontation of ideas and the compassion in. Relationship and the church, Jeff, as you mentioned, uh, our model is not our history, because we've been out of sorts on that, you know, and uh, and and we we have uh, in in the fundamentalist con- you know, modernist controversy, it, it shifted one way, it then grew back into another, it continues to shift back and forth, and so we have now a mission for mission's sake that has you wonder if there's ever a message. That comes through at the at the on the other hand. There's the the message that we're not sure whether the person cares about whether uh, that message gets believed or not. We just get to say we we had the mission and we when we shared the message, right. and that's a that's a delicate delicate balance. And I think uh, how do churches and individuals? This will be our last question. How, how do our churches, as as well as we as individuals, how how do, how do we? How do we fight to keep at least more balanced? We'll never be perfectly in balance, but how do we how do we fight to keep that balance? Uh, what are some practical ways we can be thinking that uh, that ask the hard question to 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 rebalance us at least you know to to one degree or the other?
2: Well, I think to the extent that ministry is uh, has a relational component to it, uh, there has to be this wedding between whatever. You're communicating verbally in this relational dimension that a person person senses um, in, in some way, and they may like they may react to it like the Romans did, and you know the, you know the reason the Romans called Christians atheists is because everything that they did and. It, had a polytheistic religious significance tied to it. That the the ancient world was not our secularized world where there's sure. this uh, public square that's kind of neutral and detached from religion. Everything that Romans did uh, had some type of uh, of reli- religious dimension to it. I like to illustrate it this way: the calendar, the religious calendar in Rome, had over. A uh, hundred and fifty religious holidays a year that we're supposed to be celebrated. That's a, that's a holiday every three days. You know, we complain about how we've added holidays so we get one a month. You know, every three days something's being celebrated in, that has some type of, of of significance. So my my point is here is that without the relational dimension, it it it, it can look. It can look like well, all that you want is to have a notch on your belt. All that you're interested in is communicating faithfully that the that you've shared the gospel. But do you really care about me as a person? That kind of thing. So I I think at some level it's got to have a relational element in it. Even if that relational element sometimes has a challenge built into it, it's still it's still it's still this person has a sense of well, I know you said that to me because you care. You know. That that kind of communication. I think that's that's one way to do it. And I think the other danger is is that sometimes you can so push the relational side of it without explaining uh, explaining the core relationship that drives you uh, that that can be empty.
3: One of the uh, challenges that we recognize that we have in uh, American Christianity. Within our culture is that we've had uh, we've had the advantage of at least the tip of the hat towards Christian values, Christian symbols, Christian, you know uh, verbiage, Christian holidays, uh, for a long time. And we in some respects have confused that uh, democracy and Christianity. and now we come to a position in our culture where, if we get outvoted, we then, the issue of being disenfranchised, the anger, the reaction, our tone, it's hostile, takeover becomes the message. And we have mistakenly identified Christianity with a an ability to win an election. And that's going to be a constant challenge for us as we go forward. Let me leave you with one illustration that was meaningful to me. I was with a friend the other day, and he said, uh, let me tell you how, and he mentioned another Christian who engaged the culture at a restaurant like I've never seen before. They were getting ready to pray for their meal, but they intentionally waited to pray for the meal until the wait person came back to the table. And he reached out and he said, you know, we're getting ready to pray a prayer of thanks for our food. Is there anything we could pray with you about? Anything we could pray for you? You know, uh, is there any, anything on your mind or in your life for which you would like us to pray? That opened a conversation that ultimately led to two more meetings and that person coming to faith. Yeah. It was a very simple, gracious, non-confrontive and yet fairly bold approach but a very relational approach to reach out and say could we pray for you and out of that came the conversation that ultimately brought that person to a saving knowledge of jesus christ uh it can be as practical as that but the challenge to represent christ well in a very uh complex set of cultures is uh is what we face, and yet that's the privilege uh, that we have at the same time.
2: That's why we're just getting started in this, in some ways, and talking about it because I do think that the we wrestle as a as a community, as a Christian community, with how to balance these features that we all sense create tensions within us. And so the question becomes, how do I how do I do that faithfully? How do I do that well? I don't measure it by victory. I don't measure it by popularity. I should measure it by a kind of faithfulness that's committed to honoring and representing God well and, uh, and lifting him up in what he represents well. And that may bring uh, curiosity, that may bring hostility, that may well bring rejection, but that's part of the calling. Um, and if we do that well, um, there will be people who will be drawn by the Spirit of God to uh, To consider what it is that we're representing, and that's that's the best kind of
3: cultural engagement. I love the way Act seventeen ends. We hadn't planned, we hadn't talked about using that passage, but <laughs> I'm glad we did, because uh, there were some who stayed hostile and reacted to the message of truth. There were a couple who uh, came to Christ, yeah. uh, a particular man and a particular woman that get referenced. And then there were some others that said, we'd, we'd like to talk about this some more. What, what a great compendium. We will, we will have people who will reject the message. We will have people who will stay interested if we're willing to take the time and the patience to engage. And there will be people who will respond. Uh, I, I love that fact that uh, it represents uh, a, an honesty of the hostility that exists. It represents the patience that's needed to engage But it also represents the joy that when the message is preached and the Spirit of God works, people, and these two, one of the guys was known as an Areopagite. He hung around that hill. All the time, <laughs> he he was known for being one of That's the. That's something I haven't been called. Ah, <laughs> I mean, neither. I'm, I'm not known for hanging around the philosophers too often. But he was he was known as somebody who hung on that hill for a long time enough to be called basically a Mars Hillian, <laughs> an Areopagite. and uh, but that was one you would probably not expect to have made a confession of faith on that particular day, but God chose with the truth through the Spirit to bring him to Christ. Uh, what a great hope and joy that we have. Uh, that's, that's our goal, to engage with the ultimate purpose of seeing people understand who God is through his Son Christ by the ministry of the Spirit in their lives and come to uh, a different culture that will last for eternity. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of this discussion today. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.
0: This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast